Per se, but it's new because two of us are talking about this and you've never heard from us before. My name is Chatachi Egu. I'm a media professor, a filmmaker, a media maker, and I love media, which means I love TV. And I'm here with my illustrious co-host. Go ahead and introduce yourself, co-host. Hi, I'm Kevin Williams, and I am just a regular guy who happens to love TV, and I was plucked out of obscurity by <laughs> Tati. She discovered me on social media, and we discovered we were TV twins, and um, the rest hopefully will be podcast history. Yeah, exactly. And he's really not nobody. He's very modest. (laughs) He's an awesome somebody. And this is TV channeling. This is this grew out of our love for TV. I would always notice that there's a there's a um, a platform. That's what it is. It's a platform called Anchor, and it's basically micro-podcasting. And I fell in love with it. And so anyway, that's how I found Kevin, and we connected. And we connected because he always had these awesome waves, as they're called, about television. And I'm like, wow, this guy knows his stuff. I like that too. What? I'm like, I I have to sink my claws into Kevin before (laughs) somebody else does. And I'm like, even if he says no, I'll get him to come around at some point. And so now we have TV channeling. How are you feeling, Kevin? I am feeling really good. I can't believe we're doing our first show already. We just started talking about the idea of doing something a couple weeks ago, and we're already getting, I'm getting my feet wet. It's trial by fire. I'm mixing metaphors, but we're still doing it. That's okay. That's okay. So you're using your words quite well. See, you were worried about that, (laughs) but you're using them quite well. I'm new to English, so we'll see how it all works out. And you picked it up so well. (laughs) So we've already uh, kind of introduced ourselves, but we're going to get into deeper introduction because I want us to talk about why we love TV. Obviously, we're doing a podcast about not just TV, but TV and entertainment. So that's going to include, obviously, some movies. And if you if you all know anything about media, media has converged. So there's no such thing as separate industries anymore. The TV industry kind of is the movie industry, kind of is the over-the-top industry like Netflix. So everything kind of merges together. So I wanted us to talk about why we love TV and kind of what brought us here today. Kevin, I'm going to let you start because you've got like an interesting story. Well, let's see. Basically, I was a latchkey kid. So um, I was pretty much uh, raised by television. And um, um, I was an odd kid. I was uh, different. And when um, what TV gave me was a window to a broader world that it was a much bigger world than my neighborhood in my elementary school. There was a big world out there with all kinds of people with different interests and um, just having those horizons broadened, especially by PBS. It's like there was this thing called the UK and there were Britcoms and there were cooking shows and travel shows. Yes. And the world, my world became so much broader than my uh, Los Angeles neighborhood. So 
um, that really, uh, I think, helped form and shape me in uh, to the man I am today. And um, as I let's see, I can't, I can't, I won't even tell you how many Tonight Show hosts I've lived through. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Or how many SNL cast members I've seen come and I've seen go. So, (laughs) wow. Me and TV go way back. Way back. Like, what about you, Tasha? Tell me about your TV love. So, um, like you, TV raised me. And really, it's funny. I just saw an article the other day about the recommendations for screen time for kids. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but they were saying, now it's okay for uh, kids to... FaceTime with grandma and do things like that because the whole recommendation was to reduce screen time. Well, I would have, if that was me today, I would have been a lost case because I watched entirely too much television. <laughs> oh, well, join the club. I, I, I'm sure that I watched way more than I, I've used up my daily allowance, your daily allowance, every kid on the blocks daily allowance. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. The recommended daily, please throw that out of the window because because my mother actually was a student. She was working on her master's and she was uh, working also at the same time, but she only worked on weekends because she was mostly a full-time student. And so she, when she was on the weekend, working on the weekends, her thing was like, don't open the door for anybody. Okay. Don't let them know you're home alone. Okay. So what else is there to do? Once you've finished pretending everything and playing with toys, TV. So that's what we did. And so we watched from, she would leave at like seven o'clock in the morning. So we would be up too. So from seven till the time she came home at three, well, no, seven to two, we would be watching television straight. And then from two to three, we played um, dance school because she, you know, her thing was, you can't watch TV all day. We're like, yeah, okay. But we did. So what we would yeah, do so you had to, you turned the TV off an hour before. Yes. <laughs> I know that game. I know that game. You turn the TV off and, and your parents come home, touch the TV, and it's ice cold. And like, we were busy studying. I don't know what uh, the TV I was. <laughs> TV? Why would I watch that when there were so many wonderful books to read? <laughs> and, and I was a bookworm as well. I, I, I could go through a stack of books in, and I mean like a stack of 12 in one week. So I was at the library every weekend, but in the off library times, TV. <laughs> so that was basically my thing. It, it, I really credit television, I mean, books and things as well in our playtime, but I really credit that with my creativity uh, because we were talking before and I even did things like, my sister and I would do things like make up jingles for the products in our house. And obviously that's a direct result of being exposed to television commercials, right? Oh, that's hardcore, yeah. Absolutely. um, Yeah, I actually used to do... um, uh, very elaborate taped uh, like radio shows because for people that like don't understand this, there was a time when nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds did not have access to a video camera as they do on their phones. And so for those of us born in the dark ages, (laughs) 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 our iPhone was a tape recorder. (laughs) 
thing. And you could do your own, you could be incredibly creative and you could do like a radio show. Um, yeah, we could actually, you know what, on a, on my, uh, on my tape recorder, I was doing my original prod podcast. I was rehearsing for podcasting with my tape recorder and I would do elaborate radio shows and pull in kids from my neighborhood to be guests, to be interviewed or to pretend to be music superstars for me to interview. And we would actually, we weren't as creative as you and your family because we would reenact commercials. We, would, we wouldn't do original commercials. We would reenact and sing the jingles and do commercials. My favorite thing used to be to do uh, commercials for record stores because you could actually, if you had two tape recorders, which I would borrow a friend's tape recorder, you could play music in the background. And as music is playing, it's like uh, Madonna's new album just came out. <laughs> and you can get it at Licorice Pizza. So... <laughs> No, I'm telling you, but that's super creative. Who else would do that? Who else thought, well, if we have another tape recorder, we could actually play this and make the commercial. So never mind that the product or the commercial already exists. That's super creative. Yeah, and who are you? And who are you going to trust in buying products more than like you know uh, prepubescent children? They're gonna they're gonna steer you the right way and tell you. What the <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So as you can see, we just have this deep love for television, you know, because it's really nostalgic. It goes beyond just watching the stories and everything. It's like when I think about things now, like the thing is we're about to get to our top five. And when I was thinking about our top five, or my top five at least, it really took me back to a time. And I was like, damn, I forgot about that. And then because I connect eras with songs and with television shows. So when a song comes out, I'm like, oh, this came out of the, uh, the year of my first year of high school. That was da 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 And I connect that. So the same thing I do with television shows. So it really took me back. And I had a lot of fun coming up with this list. Oh, for me, the list was an absolute nightmare. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> because trying to narrow down your TV love and your TV personality into merely five shows was it was like you know what it was sophie's choice that's exactly what it was it was wow. very very painful so i hope we have time for some honorable mentions on the back end because oh oh you know what because i was about to tell you you know i kind of cheated <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> i'm like well that explains why you had more fun than i did because you had more you actually did more you had did more than five i did i did i had my five but then i'm like well damn i can't forget about this and i can't forget about that so the the, the moral of the story is ahead of time it's impossible if you are a tv addict to sum up your tv faves in five it's it's impossible that's doable for people who don't watch tv not us I've, I've, I've come to discover that. That is absolutely true. <laughs> wow. So shall we get started with our top five? Let's get started, Tashi. So what is your number five or whatever number you actually began with? What is your first pick? Okay. So here's the other thing. I did not, these are not in any particular order. These are five that are my faves of, of and I hesitate to say of all time because there's so many, but let's just go with the five that I have. So number one, well, the first one on the list, I should say, is The Simpsons. Okay, yeah, The Simpsons. Uh, 
okay, first of all, The Simpsons are also on my list. So I didn't know you weren't doing it in any particular order. I tried to give it some kind of logic, but um, I love The Simpsons. Uh, it's, it made my list of uh, my top five as well. The show has been on for, God, how many years? It's like, I think it's... 1989. Well, because it started off as a segment on the Tracy Ullman show. And I want to say, was that 88 or 89? It was actually, um, I think Tracy Ullman was like 88. But uh, I think the first special uh, Simpsons roasting on open fire, I think was 1989. Okay, exactly. Where they became their own show aside from the segment. And I do, I actually used to watch the Tracy Ullman show, of course. And if you, for those of you who don't know the Tracy Ullman show, it was a sketch comedy show, basically. Um, and uh, Tracy Ullman is a comedian, and she was hilarious. So I used to watch that, and then I said, hey, who are these cartoons, The Simpsons? And that was at the time where they were drawn kind of funky, if you remember. Oh, uh, <laughs> you are being generous with drawn kind of funky, because they were like, they were like, they're their hair and skin was constantly in motion. You could almost get seasick watching it, but there was definitely something there. And um, it was one of the reasons to watch. Exactly. Yeah, they, they were, they were quite interesting looking, I have to say, but you know what, you're a kid and it's like, it's a cartoon. So you're like, wow. But you know, as we know, the Simpsons is really highbrow. Okay. It's like, it's not necessarily for kids. So it's a cartoon, but it's, 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 it's not really to entice children because you're not going to get some of the pop culture references if you weren't from that time or if you don't understand that era. So, yeah, I mean, they, they keep current, obviously. It's been on since 89. So there have been all sorts of different things. But if you go back to the original ones, they, um, some, of the, some of the millennials were born in like 89. So they're going to have no clue <laughs> about some of the cultural references. Oh yeah, that's one of the funny things about it. It when you're when you think about the fact that that some of these jokes are going completely over uh, different kids and uh, young adults' heads, but it's the same. It's always been true that there have been little clues in any any kind of uh, animated thing. It's always on two different levels. It's on an adult level. There's jokes for the adults. There's jokes for the kids, and everyone in between. And that's one of the things I love about The Simpsons. And another thing I love about The Simpsons is that it's all always refreshing itself it's always finding new things to parody just last week it was a treehouse of terror i don't even remember what number i think maybe 26 or 27 okay (laughs) and it was uh they were parodying one of the things they were parodying was um hunger games uh movies so as pop culture continues and grows and changes they everything gets addressed on the Simpsons. They will leave no pop culture stone unturned. Unturned. (laughs) Okay, so with that, I have to tell you my favorite episodes. I have two. I mean, there are several, but there are two that always stand out. And what I always love is that it's, the Simpsons is pop culture referencing pop culture that references pop culture and on and on. So it's like this, uh, this consistent spiral, which I love. As not to get too academic, let me tell you. (laughs) So my first favorite episode, uh, remember um, Troy McClure? Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may know me from such shows as da-da-da-da-da. So the actor, Troy McClure, he's trying to make a comeback, and his agent is like, well, the only way you can do that is to get married. Yes, and he he gets married to Aunt Selma. 
Yes. (laughs) So um, my favorite part of that is um, when he gets all this attention because now he's married and they're like, oh, you got to get married because that's what gives you all the, you know, that's what they want to see. The public wants to see you married. So he gets offered uh, this. He's like, I've got a great part for you. And Troy McClure says, "Uh, what is it? And uh, his agent is like, it's (laughs) It's Planet of the Apes. He said, he said, the movie? And he said, better, the musical. And so <laughs> they do Planet of the Apes, the musical. And I always remember because he's playing, you know, Charlton Heston's uh, part. And the, uh, the gorillas and the orangutans, they're like, stop. Don't let him escape. And then he says, get your hands off me, you dirty ape. <laughs> he can talk. He can talk. He can talk. He can talk. And the whole thing is done to... Um, Rock Me Amadeus, remember that song from the 80s? So it's the, the name of the song is Dr. Zaius instead of Amadeus. So I'm like, how clever can you be that you found another pop culture reference <laughs> to turn this into a rap song and then they're breakdancing in it? Oh, no, you're right. The, the layers, the layers are incredible. Yes. There was a line about like, you know, and at the end, he basically discovers that he loves, uh, uh, he loves uh, apes. And he goes, I love every ape from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Yes. <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. So that's, what, uh, that's one. And then the other one is, when uh, Homer actually, I think we may have talked about this, but Homer actually uh, becomes uh, Mr. X. And like he's on the internet and he becomes this person that like informs on everybody. And then um, he, uh, what happens? He uh, informs on everybody and then everybody finds out and then nobody wants to talk to him because he's, you know, informing the secrets. And then what happens is these agents, like he, the computer kind of melts, and then he gets drawn into this alternate universe, which ends up being this same universe. I don't know if you remember the show from the UK from the 1960s called The Prisoner. Okay, it's so funny that you say that because I remember this episode and love this episode, but I have this, that's one of the great things about The Simpsons because sometimes they're parodying something and you know they're parodying something, but you know what they're parodying. And so I actually found out about The Prisoner and checked it out because of The Simpsons. See, and I, I watched The Prisoner first. And then as soon as I said, oh, they're doing The Prisoner, especially with the bubble that like engulfed people. I said, oh my God. And then they called it what, number six? I loved The Prisoner. I love British programming. So that those two are my top Simpsons. Oh, one of the things that you that you didn't mention that I think is one of the funniest moments of that particular episode is when Homer is replaced with some like Russian agent. Yes, uh, and so and so um, the kids are like this because he looks nothing like Homer, barely. He's wearing the same outfit, and so and he's like shaved his head, so you can see the stubble where he clearly has hair. <laughs> the kids like something's weird about that, and so then he goes. No, there isn't. And he has like a Russian accent. And then he like, he like purposely trips. He goes, duh. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that was, uh, that's a, that's a classic episode. My uh, favorite episode of the Simpsons, I think hands down. And there's, and there are so many, um, but it's lemon of Troy. I don't know if you remember that episode, but lemon of Troy is one where, 
Um, Bart uh, gets caught vandalizing something in town and uh, Marge gives him this huge speech about town pride and he kind of gets kind of like hopped up on that speech and, and loving his town and so he and Milhouse and their friends are heading to uh, the, even though we've never seen or heard of it before there's this uh, the celebrated lemon tree that the kids use. Yes! It's the, back, it's the backbone of the kid economy because they use it to make lemonade and sell. Yes. And they go there and discover that the, the kids from the rival town next door, Shelbyville, Shelbyville. Have, stolen, <laughs> have stolen their lemon tree. Yes. And so they have to go all black ops and sneak into Shelbyville yes. and, try to, and try to rescue and bring back the lemon tree back to Springfield. Yes, no, I remember that very well, very well. That's a good one. That's a good one. Wow. Wow. Well, since we've, we've uh, ex expended Simpsonville, what is next on your list? All right, for me, I got to go with Six Feet Under. Um, uh, I don't know if you were, were you a fan of Six Feet Under by any chance? Not really. I, I never watched it. I, you know, I can't say that I would not have liked it, but I just, it, I didn't think it was something that would appeal to me. But now All I'm right. going to have to. Okay, well, let me tell you and everyone else that happens to be listening to this a little bit about it. Okay, um, the show is about, um, uh, well, it begins, the pilot begins where uh, Nate Fisher is returning home after a long absence. He comes back to his Los Angeles home uh, and his family home, they actually live above a mortuary that they run called Fisher's and Son. And so he has got this incredibly... Uh, uh, uptight mother uh, who's a perfectionist. He's got a brother who's also a bit of perfectionist and um, who kind of resents him because he left and to go and pursue his dreams. But his brother stayed and helped run the family mortuary business instead of becoming an attorney like he wanted to. And he's got a sister uh, who's uh, like a teenager and she's kind of wild. And mm. um, and the day that he comes home uh, from uh, uh, comes home to L.A., he actually uh, 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 like catches a cab and gets uh, and gets home, and not realizing that his father actually uh, headed to the airport to pick him up, and his father is actually killed in a car accident on the way to the airport to pick his son up, who's been away from home for years. Oh my gosh! So the very first episode is him dealing with a his father's sudden out of nowhere death, uh, uh, getting back and dealing with his family that he's like, hasn't seen or dealt with in years. And at that point, we don't even know why he's been gone for years. And so dealing with that and his, oh, and also his brother happens to uh, uh, be uh, played by um, the actor, uh, Michael C. Hall, who played Dexter. So this is pre-Dexter. So oh, an idea okay. of how... Uh, how great the cast is but anyway so he's dealing with his father's sudden death and um the question so the question of the of the pilot is will he stay and kind of help his family pick up the pieces of the of their father's sudden death oh and also when i said that his sister was wild to give you an idea of how wild she is okay the day that her that um her father is killed and her brother comes home she's trying crack for the very first time with her boyfriend that she just had sex with are you kidding so, me 
yeah that's no i am not kidding you so that's how wild she is and um anyway and oh and so nate uh on his uh before he uh, takes the cab to uh, a taxi cab to come home he meets a mysterious woman at the airport they lock eyes and they end up hooking up having anonymous sex at the airport. So he's basically kind of can't get this woman out of his mind, trying to deal with the, the death of his father and trying to reconnect with his family. And will that mysterious woman have a uh, play a role in his life later on? Chances are the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> the show has um, kind of surreal moments kind of woven in um, because every one of the things about the show as it continues is there's like a death of the week. Every week the show begins with someone dying in a, in a particular way and they will be the person that's going to be buried at their uh, mortuary and their family members were going to be uh, uh, coming to their mortuary. So it begins where you see someone, you see a person something happens and then ends up killing them and then you see their birth date and then you see their uh the date of their uh death uh and it fades to white and then the show begins with the family and their trials and tribulations as well as the people that they encounter that week who are burying their loved ones and this show has the distinction of having in my opinion the absolute best final episode of any tv show in history i i I know that's i know that you're thinking well that is a tall ass order (laughs) that's a bold statement that's a very bold statement but anyone who has happened to have seen the final episode please chime in and back me up on twitter or on facebook message us because we're on there let us know if you think that i'm crazy which i'm not not in this case. Well, yeah, okay. So I'm crazy, but not this. <laughs> even a wrong clock is right twice a day. Well, and I'm right about this. <laughs> this is the best finale ever. So since we're talking about that, we might as well give out our social media. So if people do have things that, for example, you want to respond to what Kevin just said, or you have some suggestions for shows we really need to check out, let's give our social media. So go ahead, Kevin. Okay, we uh, on Twitter, we are TV Channeling USA, TV yes. Channeling USA. Uh, please, um, you know, send us any kind of questions you have. Um, or, um, you know, it'd be nice if you followed us too. That'd be great. So we'll take, we'll take either or both. And or both. Yes. And then you can also, we do have a Facebook page with some really cool information up on it on what's going on in TV. Actually, we're channeling TV. You can find us at facebook.com slash TV channeling. So it's just that simple. All right, so Tachi, what is your next choice? Okay, so here's where I said I kind of cheated because they're the same producer. And um, so I said I would kind of put them together because I couldn't decide between the two. And I know that we are living in a world that is poo-pooing Bill Cosby. But... I, I oh, have, wait, I'm sorry. That's very generous. But anyway. Booing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cutting him. Tut, tut, tut. Anyway, yes. go ahead. <laughs> Tisk, tisking. Well, you know, they're really literally throwing books at him now. But, Your eyebrows are slightly raised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the Cosby show it, it has to be my next one. And I put slash a different world. 
And there's a very, very good reason, obviously, for this. Uh, no, not just because I'm black. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's a good reason. That's but a it good... is because I'm black. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it is a good reason. And if you think about it, first of all, The Cosby Show was really, so it debuted in 1985. And I don't know if you remember, but that was a huge, huge thing. Now, I am actually... I had been a fan of other Cosby shows, including I Spy and the other Cosby show, the Bill Cosby show. So I had been fan of, of, of you know, the stuff that he did. But of course, I was really little. So I, I knew just enough. I knew Fat Albert and stuff like that. But yeah. I remember because I was in middle school or what they now call middle school by the time the Cosby show debuted. And I remember all the commercials of the Cosby show debuts. Thursday night on NBC, and everybody watched it. It was an event. Everybody watched it. So I remember the first, and not even in syndication, I remember it watching it was my mother, my sister, and I, and we were watching that first episode and how hilarious it was. And the thing is, is that's the first time that you had in a long time, since Julia, since Julia uh, was on, and that was in the 1960s, that you had seen professional black people and their day-to-day life. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't struggle like Good Times was, where they could never seem to overcome. Uh, they had, there were small things, there were issues, but it was family life. And I think the thing is, you didn't have to be black to identify with it. Oh, not at all. The sh- the show was so universal that that's part of the reason for its huge success. It wasn't a black family story. It was a family story, period. Absolutely. It, w- it was a story of a family. But it was good to be able to see the mother was a lawyer, the father was a doctor. Um, they did have, you know, one kid, two screw up kids, if you think about it, but one got it right. You know, Lisa Bonet was always that screw up. But can I tell you, she was my fashion icon, okay? I absolutely love fashion. In fact, that was going to be my first career. I wanted to, since I was like in fifth grade, I wanted to become a designer. And I really grasped, grasped on. And, you know, you're still kind of in the Garanimal stage. <laughs> you know, and especially where I grew up, it, um, for the most part where I grew up in Buffalo, New York, there, everybody was, that's not a fashion capital. So matchy, matchy. What? It isn't a fashion capital. Buffalo, New York isn't known for fashion. I thought there was like Milan. New York, you know what, you know what Buffalo, Kevin? I, Kevin. What? <laughs> Kevin, is there any need to be that sarcastic? <laughs> is that really necessary, Kevin? <laughs> you know good and damn well. <laughs> so, at the, you know, the interesting thing is we're only an hour and a half from Toronto, and the, the fashion is so deplorable there. But in any case, so everything is matchy, matchy, Sears, you know, that type of thing back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I really was drawn to her because she had such an eclectic sense of style. I also used to, I keep popping other things in there, but I also used to watch every Saturday style with Elsa clench, which came on CNN. And that was uh, that. And there was another show that was called fashion America. And you are working so many shows. Into I, your am. Life. I am. Oh, I am. You know what? The funny thing is I remember style with Elsa clench. Elsa clench was everything back in the everything, day. everything. And well, I say these, I mentioned these things because it kind of shapes why. So because I was so used, 
used to that world of high fashion, when Denise came by and she's not matchy matchy and not granimal looking, she's actually doing some edgy stuff. Where I'm like, I'm liking this. Denise was everything, okay, in terms of st- uh, fashion. Absolutely. So it to me, it was really the marker of, you would like to say the turn of TV, but we're still talking about uh, diversity, so not really. Yeah, but you know what? I still think, um, yeah, we're, we're far from being uh, where we should be with diversity on television, but there's no denying the uh, fact that uh, the Cosby show uh, changed so many things about this country. And um, this might sound like a bold statement, but I think one of the reasons that we have a Black president as we speak is uh, the, the groundwork was being laid there. You're absolutely right. You know, it's a legacy that's constantly being built. And it did start with, it started from way before that. But to actually see the Black family mediated and not a dysfunctional Black family, because this is the funny thing. Everybody, you know, there was that argument back then of the, oh, well, this is not how, this is not true. This is not how Black America lives. And this was Black people saying this often. Well, what, what like, bothers me about statements like that is uh, when anybody from some group tries to, tries to say that this doesn't depict the group. Well, it's, it's the idea that there is a monolithic way of being Black or a monolithic, monolithic way of being Hispanic or gay or anything. That was a Black family story. That's how, yes, there are Black families that live like that. That wasn't every Black family's experience, but that was that Black family's experience. No, exactly. And then the whole thing is, as you you go on in years, it's like, well, that's how we were. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you were, the mother was a a lawyer and the father was a a doctor. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It just, it may mean that, yeah, I had both parents in the house and they both worked really hard and they exhibited those types types of things and they wanted the best for us. So, you know, it's not about the monetary amount or the actual profession. It's just that the unit was strong. And I know an awful lot of my friends that grew up that way. So I'm like, I don't know where you grew up, but that's what I know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, Cosby Show. And then I kind of cheated because I said different world as well. And for the same type of reason, the different world it's actually the reason I went to Howard University. And I didn't go to Howard for my undergrad. I did my master's and PhD at Howard, but Howard was always at the front of my mind. So since I didn't get the opportunity to go undergrad, I said, oh, damn it, I'm going for grad school. And really, that and Spike Lee's uh, school days is what really cultivated my interest in I really think I want to go to an HBCU and experience that HBCU, uh, the HBCU experience, just to see um, the fact that, if you remember the first season, Maggie, there was, um, they always had uh, one or two uh, white people (laughs) that went there. And, you know, that's always, that was the experience at Howard. You have everybody that goes there, there. Uh, Latinos that go there, there are whites that go there, there are a lot of Asians that go there, a lot of um, uh, people from the Middle East. It's so multicultural and you kind of pick that up, but it's still all about the Black experience. It's it's celebrating the Black experience. And I, just the different episodes that they had on on a different world that were, there was one that really stood out. So 
they talked about issues, you know, that you might face when you're in college. So there was one where Kimberly, and this was like season two, where Kimberly, who was studying to be a doctor, had an opportunity to get an, a scholarship from a company called Orange Glow. And they had investments in South Africa. So she was stuck between being able to pay for college through this fantastic scholarship and staying true to her beliefs and her morals and values. So I think it was a fantastic episode. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I remember about Different World were the caliber of, of uh, guest stars that would play some of the professors. Some of the professors were very um, distinguished stage uh, actors that happened to be African-American. So uh, the show always felt very rich uh, with the casting. And I think Debbie Allen was the one who was directing most of the episodes at that time. Yep, she directed most of the episodes. She's Debbie Allen is fantastic. So, kudos. All right, you're next, brother. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, since you're side shouting Fame, TV show Fame, I'm going to do a side yes! shout. Yes. So mentioning Debbie Allen. So yes. I'm just going to work that in there too. All right. Okay. So let's see. My next pick. I was going to be The Simpsons, but we've already uh, we've already talked about our Simpsons love. So um, I'm going to go next uh, to the show The Good Wife. Did you ever check that show out? The Good Wife. You know what? I did not. Tell me about it. I know about it, but I, it just didn't draw me. So tell me. Okay. Oh my God. The Good Wife was such a good show. Okay. I guess, well, that's why they had the word good in it. Anyway, it, it was about a woman named Felicia Florick, and she was played by Juliana Margulies. And anybody who ever watched ER in the 90s fell in love with that woman. Um, I, she did not, I could not escape, you know, the glow that was Juliana. I was in love with her too. Anyway, so it, it starred her and um, her husband was played by, uh, her husband's name was Peter and he was played by Chris Noth, uh, Mr. Big from Sex and the City. Oh, so, yes, yes, yeah, yes. So yes. some, some, anyway, so some, definitely some, some uh, big, big talent in that show. So anyway, the, sh the show begins, the very first episode is about the fact that um, her husband is a state's attorney in Illinois and he has been caught up in a huge corruption scandal as well as a sex scandal so that always like spices things up yeah videotaped I believe with uh, high price call girls and um, basically the beginning of the show starts with a press conference where he is basically uh, doing kind of a mea copa because he is about to go to jail. He's just been found guilty of corruption. And um, his wife is, uh, Alicia is standing next to him, kind of like, do you remember Anthony Weiner? Not Anthony Weiner, um, what's his name? Uh, give me a second, it's in there. Um, Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer. Elliot yes. Spitzer, it was an Elliot Spitzer kind of style moment where his wife has to stand next to him okay. as, as he's confessing to corruption and uh, being videotaped sleeping with prostitutes and um, oh, nice. he's being a good political wife standing next to him. So he goes to the clink and she's got to kind of pick the pieces of her life back up. And so she actually is an attorney, but kind of in name only. She hasn't practiced law in 13 years since she's started raising her children and she's been a stay-at-home mom. So now that her husband's in jail and the money is completely screwed up because of uh, the legal battle to try and keep him out of jail, which obviously failed, failed um, she has to get back out there. And we see her you know, find herself and uh, get a job at a law firm 
basically based on her name and the idea that she has connections. And that's why they kind of hire her as a token, not really thinking that she's going to be able to actually be a good litigator. And she basically fools them all and and actually shows that she does have something there's a reason for her to be there other than her last name and um it is an incredible show it alan cummings is on the show the famous mm. alan cummings. um the cast is incredible diverse and also okay i can't remember the name of the uh, what is the name of the uh the the show the marvel show that broke the internet a few weeks ago that you were talking about oh ooh, luke cage luke cage okay mm. The actor who plays Luke Cage, where was he seen before he became um, uh, Luke Cage? All right. So Luke Cage was actually a uh, recurring character on uh, The Good Wife. And he played this, and this is going to sound slightly stereotypical, but it, was no, it wasn't. He played this very uh, GQ debonair high-powered drug dealer and he basically he had like a son whom he protected like a lion he lived uh in a very uh very sophisticated i mean basically he looked like a businessman and he had he did have a legitimate businesses that he used to launder his drug money and he needed the law firm to help get him out of scrapes and he was a recurring character and he was very interesting and he played the character with so much depth uh, the show had so many layers. Christine Baranski uh, was uh, was Alicia's uh, boss at the law firm. Oh, okay. The show was incredible. And while, one of the things I loved about the show that was so incredible was the show never stopped evolving and changing the game. As soon as you got comfortable and you knew the lay of the land about how the show worked and how the people interacted, something huge would happen that would mix up all the cards in the deck and change everything and keep you guessing and keep you um still figuring out as as she's figuring out the world around her and and the landscape of her world and her life you were it was an incredible show and one of the great things about it the show actually just finished up this run and had a, a finale last uh, uh, May. But one of the great things about it is the show is uh, going to have a spinoff that's still untitled that's going to be premiering on uh, uh, CBS All Access uh, in uh, February. So I'm really oh. excited to be starring uh, uh, Christina Baranski and it's also going to be starring um, God, what is that woman's name? It is um, let me see, I wrote it down somewhere. Give me a second. Um, her name is uh, Kush Majumbo. Um, I, I'm, I'm so sorry for butchering your name because she's like a Broadway star. Uh, Kush, uh, C-U-S-H Jumbo, J-U-M-B-O. Anyway, incredible actress. So it's two, it's gonna be led by two women who are attorneys and um, it's gonna be continued. It's gonna, be, uh, I believe, have 10 episodes on CBS All Access. And you're like, Kevin, what is CBS All Access? Yet another subscription service trying to yank money out of your pocket. And um, damn you, CBS. Why, why, isn't this, why won't this show just come on regular CBS? No. And uh, on a side note, since we're mentioning side things, uh, CBS, they're not stupid. They're evil geniuses. So not only are they going to pull people like me, good wife fans in, but 
Another thing, another demo that I'm a part of is people who love Star Trek. So the two star, the two lead shows just uh, to kind of get uh, to get people to take a bite of CBS All Access are the Good Wife spinoff and Star Trek Discovery, a brand new Star Trek show that takes place ten years after the events of the original. Uh, Star Trek with William Shatner. And um, so those two shows are going to be the flagships to try and lure us in to get our money. So beware, watch out for that. Absolutely. And it's, they just might get it from me because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see because now, you know, they need to hire you as their PR person because you really now have me wanting to go back and watch The Good Wife. So I think I am going to do that. And Kush Jumbo, I'm just looking her up now. And of course, I'm I'm Nigerian, so she's half Nigerian. So I'm like, yes. Oh, and she is an incredible, you, I'm telling you, uh, it, for those of you who haven't watched The Good Wife, you have, I am so jealous of you because you can watch it uh, in its entirety as, at your leisure and, and just uh, burn through the episodes like I had to watch them one week at a time. And for those of you who have uh, Amazon Prime Video, it is available there. So I highly suggest you check that out. Oh, and you know where else I know her from? And I'm just thinking about it now. Torchwood, because she's an English actress. Yes, yes. So she I was remember. on Torchwood. Yes, I she remember. Was. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to check it out. Absolutely. All right, so what's your next pick? Okay, so I'm thinking that you mentioned Star Trek, and um, it's not that this is my next, but since you mentioned Star Trek, Star Trek is on my list. And I'm, you know, talking about the original Star Trek, and that's why I said they might have my money because I've got to check out this. (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved Star Trek. Now, I didn't start off as a Trekkie. It was kind of later on, like when I got into college, that actually after I graduated from undergrad, I started to get into it. And I said, well, this is damn good. You know, and yeah. I'm like, Spock is actually amazing. He says the most profound things. And the funny thing is the other day I was watching, um, I can't remember which episode it was, but I was watching one of the original episodes and Spock's made this, Spock made this statement. He said, evil does try to uh, uh, maintain power through uh, lies and deceit. I was like, whoa. I'm gonna oh, you're have, living this moment right now. living the dream. I was like, who would have known that Dr. Spock would have been the soothsayer or the <laughs> foreseer of all the rubbish that's going on now? And it's just little gems like that that really make me love Star Trek. So, of course, I love the original. The original is my thing. And I'm also really into the cartoon. If you remember, at the same time, there was a cartoon that used to come on Saturday mornings. Of course, this was before our time, but of course, I was watching it in syndication. So there was all voiced by the original actors. Um, and so, and it was, a, it was Hanna-Barbera, and you could tell by the style of what is animation, who does it. So Hanna-Barbera also does, you know, did Scooby-Doo. So you could tell, I'm like, yeah, these are the same people. So it was Hanna-Barbera that did that. So I loved the cartoon. And of course, I watched uh, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek. I watched all the different iterations of Star Trek. I just think that it's, 
it's science fiction come to life. And the thing about Star Trek is all of these things that we use in everyday life or have used, like the flip phone, that was something that was so, or the flip communicator, that was so unforeseeable back then. It was so far in the future, but everything that has been on Star Trek has really come true in terms of technology. I think that's why I love it so much. Oh, wow. You know, even down to um, the uh, self-opening doors, that didn't exist before Star Trek. That was actually uh, the, the, the doors that happened that are in front of every supermarket today uh, were inspired by uh, Star Trek. They actually had, they actually just had uh, two crew guys actually just opening the door when they would walk in. They, they, they were not automatic doors, which is, it's crazy to think about that there was a time when there weren't automatic doors. And, um, Another thing, um, talking, interacting with a computer by talking to it. That is something that we are experiencing today. Siri, Alexa, name it, and and we've got it. You know, it's um, really interesting. Going back to the automatic door thing. So every single place here, not every single place, but most places here, major places, have the automatic doors, either the sliding doors or whatever. So if I ever now come to some place where the doors don't open, I'm like, what the hell is this? Why aren't the doors opening? What's wrong here? Like my gym, sometimes that automatic door will be broken and it opens inside. I'm like, I actually have to push the door. <laughs> Your workout starts early. Exactly. How dare I have to use my power to open the door? So it's just interesting when you think about it, there was really a time where automatic doors were not in existence. Well, I, I too love Star Trek and um, I love the original Star Trek. I love The Next Generation and Voyager. I watched from the first episode to the very last and that I think I love Voyager the most of all of them because it was a complete story. I mean, at the beginning, they are cast into uh, uh, uncharted, uh, un- uh, uncharted space that has nothing to do with the Federation. They are cut off. They can't even communicate with the Federation initially. Right. Right. And um, they have to kind of find their way. And it's kind of like a Western, even down to the fact that when their uh, food replicators go down and they actually have to cook food, something yes. that they never had to do on a star on a, on a starship before. Um, so I, I love that show. And I love that we have a beginning, middle and end. And for anyone, again, who hasn't seen this show, you are in for a treat because you can watch it in its entirety and, and get a full experience and a satisfying ending. The problem with uh, shows like uh, Next Generation, there really wasn't an ending where they knew the show was going to be ending and where we wrapped it all up. And so we had to just kind of wait for the series of films that followed years later. So you like the neat ending well, I like I, I like a show that if it's if you're telling me a story, I, I don't like it. Oh, oh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when a show just gets canceled and the producers had no idea and something ends on a cliffhanger. Oh my god, that drives me absolutely positively insane. You know, it's funny because I was reading and this was ooh, I've always read about television, so you know those those circulars that kind of or or the channel listings that come in the Sunday paper. Yeah. They also have the articles. And so I would always read through the, ours was called the TV topics. So I would always read through them. And I remember reading an article of, remember Alf? Yeah. So Alf ended that with a cliffhanger. 
purposely because I guess they were trying to get NBC to bring renew it back, to renew it. And NBC was like, hell no. You we don't can, care. You can end it up with him hanging over a cliff all you want. <laughs> not coming back. <laughs> well, that's, that's, oh, I think that's a, a huge mistake that a lot of networks make is uh, oftentimes they're making the decision uh, what will be renewed and won't be renewed uh, in April. And the t- end of the TV season is in May. So most things are completely in the can and, com- and done. And um, they decide that a show has been canceled. That's a continuing story kind of show and there's no resolution. And I think that turns a lot of fans off and I'll speak for myself. A lot of the sci-fi things like NBC had a show a few years ago called the event. And Uh I remember how they made a big promise because a lot of people were upset about how lost ended. They claimed that a, that the story was all mapped out. It was going to take five years to tell the whole story. And then, you know, you, you can trust us. And of course the show got canceled and they never did. You never was any kind of resolution. But to me, right. the, as a network executive, I would assure uh, people that, you know what, you fans, you can watch our shows. And if a show gets canceled, it will be followed up with a two hour movie to wrap it up. I mean, anybody who was a fan of uh, Stephen King, Stephen King's TV show under the dome, ended horribly because uh, they claimed um, during an ad campaign in the last couple weeks going like the conclusion of under the dome (laughs) see see how it all ends it didn't all end it ended ended with like a, a like a cliffhanger and it was clearly meant to come on for another season but it got canceled and to me you think with someone with the cachet of a stephen king there would have been something in his contract saying like look whenever you decide to cancel this um, I get a two-hour movie to wrap it up. And I think that would get a lot more people to watch and invest in new things. A lot of people I know will not even watch uh, 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 certain kind of continuing story shows until maybe the third season because they feel like they know that, it's gonna, that it has a following and they don't want to get hooked on something and then have it be canceled out of nowhere and have absolutely no resolution. Right. And, but I think this is where the over-the-top services like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime come in because they're able to release entire seasons in one sitting, you know, in one fell swoop. And so you have all the episodes and you're able to get that, resol- you know, at least... At- at least some sort of uh, resolution to the end of that, if it's written well, to the end of that. That doesn't mean other things are not going to happen if they get uh, greenlit for season two. But the thing is, because they've done everything and they've made it all, then it's like, all right, they've ordered, okay, we already know um, there are a couple of Netflix productions that have been, so Luke Cage already has a season two coming. Jessica Jones uh, has a season two that should get ready to start very soon. So you can do things, you, you kind of have to do things on a year to year basis in, 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 a, in a sense. So if you're going the over the top route, this way, you know, all right, they've ordered 10 more, 10 episodes um, or 13 episodes, whatever they order. I need to, when I'm writing, do it in such a way that if there is no more, (laughs) that there is no more. But the good thing with Netflix is that tends not to happen so often. Well, when it comes to network TV, um, I feel like they owe it to the producers of the show. If you know you have a show that has 22 episodes in a season, when they have completed like halfway, they're at episode 11 or 12, 
they should be making that decision. Instead of making the decision about what's canceled and what's renewed in April, they need to be making the decision uh, earlier in the season. So they, the, the producers can know, okay, this is going to end. All right. Well, we need to wrap this up. We have right. 10 episodes to, to, to finish telling this story. And if not, and if they let it go play all the way out from the way they normally do until May, then they need to be dedicated to the fans and say, you know what, we're going to give this a two hour movie. And even if it doesn't air on the network, okay, to give me an example of this, this was the first time I ever heard of this happening. I was so impressed with it. And I don't know why everyone else doesn't follow this model. There was a spinoff of a show called Melrose Place. Yes. The, the spinoff, well, the, actually, Melrose Place was a spinoff. So, right, <laughs> of 90210. Yeah, exactly. So the, there, was a spin, there was a spinoff of a spinoff of a spinoff, and that spinoff was called Models, Inc. Yeah, I remember Models, Inc. Yeah. Yeah. Models, Inc. was on for about two and a half seasons on Fox. Right. It, it got canceled with a huge cliffhanger. I found out later, years later, that the show was such a huge hit overseas, even though it was a minor hit in um, in the states, um, which couldn't justify Fox thought it wasn't couldn't justify its uh, operating cost to give it an, a third season, and so uh, it was a, it became such a huge hit uh, in the aftermarkets and all, all across Europe that they basically asked for a wrap-up movie. So they actually did do a two-hour movie and they sold uh, they sold uh, like a DVD set as a complete story and where they actually kind of wrapped everything up. And I thought that was genius. They should always do that when a show gets canceled, um, do a two, film a two-hour movie. So even if it doesn't air on the original network and the aftermarket's on like say Netflix or buying, uh, buying the DVD set, you have a complete story and that would make more people apt to want to buy it if they know it's got a beginning middle and end that's true that's true I, I think though that's something that needs to be set from like you said from the beginning that should be something that's standard because yeah, i'm surprised a lot of the power brokers do not people like i said before like stephen king a name like stephen king how the heck did he not have it in his contract that you're not going to end and leave my fans hanging and end this this show um uh with no resolution and let's be honest here that show shouldn't have even gone on for years it just they got cbs got greedy that story under the dome is a two-season story maximum <laughs> maximum and they drug out that story and added all kinds of other elements that weren't in the book to keep it going and then they canceled it and left the fans hanging yeah see at the at the end of the day they don't care about the fans. It's the show that cares about the fans, not the network. They care to the extent that these are the people that are bringing in, uh, that the eyes bring in money. But do they necessarily feel compelled to, re to resolve whatever's hanging? Not really. Oh, no, I totally agree. But the reason why I think that's a mistake, they're incredibly short-sighted. I understand what they're thinking. They're thinking, you know what, this show isn't making that much money for us. So why should we pay for a two-hour movie to satisfy, like, you know, the four or five million fans that are watching this show? Exactly. Because the reason why they should do this is because the next show you're going to try to sell us, if we've been bit or we've been burned and we feel like we got screwed over, why are we going to invest in the next, the next version of Lost? Uh, when we knew that the last show that we watched ended without any resolution, why am I going to watch your next sci-fi thing or your next, you know, nighttime drama that's a continuing story? I think because that's they they figure that they can do enough publicity and get enough buy-in from other people on those things that I don't necessarily need 
<laughs> all of that. It's nice if you come along for the ride, but I have some dollars to make. Oh yeah, but but I still think that that's going to help them make dollars, and also make it'll help them make more dollars in the secondary market because a lot of the networks now don't even show net, uh, TV shows that they don't own a stake in. Uh, uh, there used to be a time where you, you would uh, uh, someone else would own a show, and then ABC or NBC would actually kind of rent it and show it on their, on Correct. their network. Correct. Correct. Now they do, they really do not like to uh, have any shows on their network that they don't own a piece of. So exactly. if they actually own a piece of the show, it would behoove them to make it more attractive in secondary markets as in you know dvd and streaming uh and um and you know those services that, to have it have a resolution would make it do better on something like netflix which means more missoula in their bank oh missoula <laughs> i like that fantastic fantastic so all right we are now at I think we have, we each have two more left. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead with my next one, which is Doctor Who. I am a Whovian. If you can't tell, I, I really love sci-fi, good sci-fi. And I have actually been a Doctor Who fan since I was young. Granted, I didn't understand <laughs> it as much as I do now, obviously. But it, it was, it came on, I started watching it because it came on after my mother used to watch the McNeil Lehrer Report. It, back then it was called the McNeil Lehrer Report and went to McNeil Lehrer News Hour, then News Hour. So after that, they used to show the syndicated uh, Doctor Who episodes. And we're talking about like from the very first Doctor all the way through. So I watched it since I was young. And then, of course, you know, we get things sporadically. So it's up to either BBC America or whatever to you know, in terms of what we get, so I picked it back up. Um, probably about ten years ago, I got back into it again, and this is when uh, David Tennant was a doctor. And I, first of all, I always tell people I'm like David Tennant is my husband in my head. <laughs> <laughs> He was an absolutely fabulous Doctor Who. So for those people who don't know Doctor Who, it's a show from uh, the UK. It's, it's an English show where it, Doctor Who is, we are now on the 13th Doctor, and he is a Time Lord. And Time Lords, every so often, every, what, 900 years or so, will, kind of like a phoenix, they uh, rise from the ashes. And so you'll notice that there'll be different iterations of the doctor, as he's called. And so he's, he's a time lord. He travels in a police call box, which is called the TARDIS. So his TARDIS uh, is his time travel machine. And he always has an assistant, which is always um, a young woman. And they his go- companion. His companion, exactly. Not an assistant, a, his companion, exactly. And so that's Doctor Who. And they go on these fantastic adventures. There's always, uh, the, the uh, antagonists are always uh, there. So the Daleks are the, uh, these uh, like killing machine type things. Think of an R2-D2 type thing. Not R2-D2. R2-D2 with R2 a very bad attitude. R2-D2 with a bad attitude, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got, um, every so often you'll see the angels as well, who, the, who kill people with their halos. <laughs> um, 
but they're all these uh, different types of villains and different, and they, they, they switch up every so often. So that is why I love Doctor Who, just because I love sci-fi and it's so well-written. The episodes are so well-written and I've enjoyed every single Doctor. Of course, like I said, my favorite is Doc, uh, David Tennant. I love Peter Capaldi, who is the current Doctor. Um, I love him too, so... Wow. Well, I, I remember watching Doctor Who, too. I can't remember the name of the, the actor when I was watching it. He had a mane of curly, curly hair. Curly hair with the striped... Uh, and, the, and the scarf that went on forever. Scarf. Yes, I'm trying to remember his name. I'll tell you. Well, okay. Well, anyway, that doctor was the doctor that um, that introduced me to Doctor Who. And I love Doctor Who. It was the... And the idea of the companions, there was just these this random... Uh, girl that he would meet that all of a sudden would get caught up in the adventure so that was kind of part of the Doctor Who magic because the companion was kind of like you were kind of like seeing the thing through the companion's eyes that was, that was very the genius of the writing of it is the because he always had to constantly explain things to the companion which is us the audience he's telling us well where the hell are we why are these why are these uh, garbage cans trying to kill us um, he, <laughs> he was there to, he would explain it to the companion. Therefore, we would understand. And remember K-9, uh, the robot dog? Yes. That was great. And the cool thing about the TARDIS, for those of you uh, who have not heard of Doctor Who, is, yes, like she said, it looks like a, a giant phone booth. But when you go inside, it is like, it's huge. There's some kind of weird, like, space anomaly or whatever, the way it works. It looks like something that's the size of a phone booth. If, if, and for those of you who are not old enough to know what a phone booth is, look it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Google images, and you can see what we're talking about. Anyway, it's, it's the size of a closet, a small closet, and uh, on the outside. And on the inside, it's huge. It has bedrooms and all kinds of rooms you never even see. So I love the idea of that, just the idea that there was that it looked small on the outside and was massive on the inside. No, I, that, that is pretty awesome. It really, in fact, let me tell you how much I love Doctor Who. You probably don't know that I'm also a dancer choreographer. So I, my, my final piece, I, I used to set a piece on the students at the university I worked at every fall and every spring. So I knew I was leaving the university and I said, I've got to do something big. And my final thing was a whole ode to Doctor Who. They built me a TARDIS. And I had the dancers going in and out of, and it rolled. I'm telling you, that's oh my God. awesome thing. Please tell ever. me that's on YouTube somewhere. Please tell me that's on YouTube. You know what? I'm going to throw it up on YouTube. You know, the whole thing that's it, crazy with it is, you know, music. It's you, I'm using copyrighted music, obviously. So that's that was the only thing that was stopping me from doing it. But I'm going to put it up because the students did a great job. And this... I'm telling you, the TARDIS was everything. Everything. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Yes, yes. All right, so what's your next one? All right, I'm going to have to say my next one is Saturday Night Live. Oh. I, I, it, I, it's kind of the same kind of logic behind my picking of The Simpsons as well, because you can't watch something for that many decades and claim it's not one of your favorite shows of all time. Because if it isn't, you're insane. Why are you still watching that? And so... Something and SNL, to do, maybe? <laughs> and SNL, to me, is like Simpsons, because... Uh, 
it ebbs and flows as far as in how good it is. There's, there's times when there's incredible writing and there's times when it's not so incredible, but it's kind of like that saying, it's like pizza or, or sex, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Um, that's, how I, <laughs> that's how I feel about SNL. And for me, uh, Saturday Night Live has always been about the women. I have always loved, I've always loved the female comedians uh, more than anything else. And um, uh, going back to like, say the, uh, the 2000s, my, one of my, my favorite period, not one of my favorite period of, of SNL with, that's when you had Tina Fey, yes. Fuller, Maya Rudolph and Rachel Dredge all at the same time. The show was at its apex, but just when you thought it couldn't get any better, along comes Kristen Wiig. And mm. with her, the target lady, Gil, yes. <laughs> and her version of a super drunk Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> the show got even better. But um, there's still great things. I mean, today, again, the women are ruling the show. Um, you got Cecily Strong. Um, yeah. You know, She's famous for uh, Girlfriends Talk Show with uh, Addie Elliott, who is also, I think, incredible. Uh, and then another thing, another character Cecily Strong does is Girl You Wish You Hadn't Started a Conversation With at a Party. <laughs> yes. Incredible. It's, it's incredible. It's a travesty. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you've heard or watched her, you know what I mean by that. Anyway, she is incredible. And why she isn't anchoring the Weekend Update I'll never understand. I the one thing I'm not happy with right now is the weekend update team. Uh, there needs to be a woman on that team. So one of those guys needs to go. I won't say which one needs to go, but if you follow us on Twitter, I'll be happy to tell you who should go. Um, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> There you go. There you go. That's how you reel them in. <laughs> reel them in. <laughs> and um, uh, let's see, what else? Um, let's see, Kate McKinnon, uh, who's, of course, oh, yeah. killing it right now as Hillary Clinton. She's killing it. But, you know, I also enjoy her as Justin Bieber. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, she, her Justin Bieber is on point. Yes. But one thing I've got I gotta to say, if... If you don't, if you if you want to get any idea about my sense of humor, you've got to go to Google immediately and and Google Kate McKinnon Close Encounter. It is easily one of the funniest, if not the funniest, SNL skit in the last ten years, hands down. It is hysterical. She plays a person who was recently abducted by aliens, and she's telling yes. <laughs> telling the government officials about the experience. And you will be on the floor. It is that good. It's that funny. Because that's when um, Ryan Gosling is on too. Yeah, right? Ryan yeah. Gosling is the yeah. host. Of the, that is particularly one of that is a really good episode straight through. It really is. It it, it was. It was. It's um. It's. It, it was hilarious. That one was hilarious. They couldn't eat to the point where they couldn't even keep a straight face. Kate McKinnon was doing a good job, but Ryan Gosling, it does. Oh, he was losing it. 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 Yes. Was, and that can be part of the fun to me when they break and, they, and they're trying so hard not to laugh. It, it, that is just the best. No, it's hilarious. I love it. You know, one of my favorite sketches from, um, there was when um, uh, two, 
And both of that was when uh, Maya Rudolph came back as host. And it was, um, there was a show that um, Keenan, I can't remember his last name. Keenan, um, I forgot, what is Keenan's last name? We should have, he's been on there for a thousand years. For a thousand years. I, I just keep remembering Keenan him. Thompson. Keenan Thompson. I keep remembering him from all that. From remember from Nickelodeon, the sketch all comedy. That, and show. then they, remember they had he had a they had a spinoff show. Keenan and Cal. Mm-hmm. Keenan and Cal. So I I I still see him as Keenan, but you know, so um, he the, he had the show called What's Up with That. Remember, and all <laughs> they would do. <laughs> yeah is uh, they never got to anything. They would have guests, and his thing was to always sing. It was like, ooh-wee, what's up with that? What's up with that? Whenever he got the opportunity to do that, he would do it. And there was always this, I can't remember who he was. Lindsay. Bunkingham was the was the always the last guest that he always would he'd always be there on the panel to speak and Lindsay Buckingham would never get a chance to talk. Yes, exactly. And, there and you go. Like, I'm so sorry, Lindsay. Will you come back next time? And he'd be like shaking his nose, like, "Come on, Lindsay, you're gonna come back, right? Will you?" And then he'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and then whoever that was in the um, red Adidas tracksuit that would be dead. Doing the running man is yes. pandemonium, and that's what I found hilarious. So Ruda, uh, Maya Rudolph was on there one time, and it was just because who was the uh, the guest? Um, Bill O'Reilly, and he was already, you know, it was like a conservative thing, and he came on there to talk about his new book, and they wouldn't let him get a word in edgewise because they just wanted to sing and dance, and, it, and then Maya Rudolph comes on with her Brazilian thing. It was hilarious, and it was, I just like it because it's just pandemonium. That's why I love it, that sketch. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love SNL, and I gotta give, I gotta give a quick shout out to something super old school on SNL. Okay. I gotta say, Jan Hooks and Nora Dunn did these characters called the Sweeney Sisters. Yeah, they, they were both geniuses, but I just, I had a thing for Jan Hooks. I just love that woman, and so if, again, go to YouTube and search for Jan Hooks and Nora Dunn, the Sweeney Sisters, just Every one of those sketches were, was hysterical. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to come up with my last one, which is a British program. It's part, you know, the Brits have dry humor and comedy down. I absolutely loved one of my favorites, Keeping Up Appearances. Um, if, you've, <laughs> if you've ever <laughs> Keeping Up Appearances is just about that. Keeping Up Appearances. Okay. Yes, hyacinth bouquet. It's really bucket, but she says it's pronounced bouquet. And her husband Richard, who is always driving her around, and is like, "When will this end?" <laughs> but she's really pretentious, and she tries to live big. Uh, and Richard normally pays for it. But the funny thing is, everybody is always trying to avoid her. The milkmen, delivery people, always try to avoid her because she's just so much. Even when she answers the phone or makes phone calls, everything is so important, and she thinks she's the most important people person in the world. And so it's it's the day in and day out about Hyacinth and her husband, Richard, and then her son, Sheridan, makes a, um, 
a uh, appearance, well, not an appearance, but a phone appearance. He's always calling, asking for money. So supposedly he's away at school. But the thing is, they have this, uh, the way they do it, he said, it's like, oh, Sheridan, mommy really misses you. And he said, y- you need money. What do you need it for? Oh, for matching curtains. Oh, you and your roommate want matching. And there are all these references to him being gay, but she never picks it up. You know, so. Yeah, she's very slow on the uptake when it comes yes, to Yes, yes. So I love keeping up appearances. Oh, I love keeping up appearances as well. And I love, what I love especially was when she, whenever she's trying to put on airs for uh, uh, like the uh, the vicar or whatever and for some kind of important thing, some kind of gal or something that she's trying to impress people with. And then her family shows up because her yes. family <laughs> is so trashy and yes. they're like basically uh, elderly soccer hooligans and it's, <laughs> it's just hysterical and her father daddy is always always uh taking off or causing trouble it is it's one of the best shows ever it really really is and you know the whole thing is is she she really got typecast as Hyacinth Bouquet, although she had done some wonderful stuff after after that. She really became Hyacinth Bouquet. Um, she did, I can't remember, it wasn't Mrs. Marple's Mysteries, but it was something along the lines, a, a show like that. So she did, but all I could think was Hyacinth Bouquet. That's all I could think. Um, but that shows you how good that show uh, was. Oh, it was it was a great show. I, I love the fact that you also are a fan of Britcoms. Oh my gosh. Every Saturday night, that's where I am. If I'm not out someplace, I'm right here watching Britcoms. All right, are we ready for my last pick? We're ready for your last pick. Go on. All right. Speaking of um, being a lover of uh, TV with a British accent, uh, my number one has to be Downton Abbey. Oh, now are you going to tell me that you didn't watch Downton Abbey? No, I watched Downton Abbey. I okay, because watched- I was about to just be heartbroken. <laughs> I, I like Downton Abbey. I love Downton Abbey. And for anyone who, I don't know what rock you've been under, where you've been that you haven't heard of Downton Abbey, but I've actually encountered a couple of you people uh, in real life. I thought they're like unicorns or, <laughs> or Pegasus. I'm like, what? what do you mean you've never heard of Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey, it was, it's a, a British period drama, and it starts, the pilot was so ingenious because it starts uh, with the sinking of the Titanic. And on April 19th, uh, uh, I'm sorry, April 1912, uh, the Earl of Grantham, who is the head of this uh, aristocratic family, um, his name is Robert Crawley, and he's played by Hugh Bonneville, uh, and his American wife, uh, Lady Cora. We learned through the, uh, through the show that there was a time when there were all these people that had these titles and castles but they yes. were they didn't have any money um after uh after after one of the wars and so they all kind of all these aristocrats kind of go uh go to like manhattan where the money is at the time and they all get uh get these american brides uh that actually have money uh wealth and so you, you come and they were hungry the americans were hungry for the title and all of the pageantry and the castles yes and match made in heaven so anyway, so what ends up happening is, um, oh, and, and La- uh, Lady Cora is played by Elizabeth McGovern. Wonderful. Um, 
anyway, so when the Titanic goes down, uh, why this, the ramifications, it starts the whole kind of, uh, it's, it starts the, the show because uh, it turns out that uh, the way money passed uh, was passed down in their society and the way the laws worked, it couldn't be passed. Uh, you couldn't, a woman could not inherit uh, uh, certain titles and she couldn't inherit uh, a family fortune or uh, the, uh, the castle, the land could not be inherited by a female heir. It would have to go to a male heir. So uh, uh, Robert uh, Crawley and his wife had a family of daughters. They had three daughters. Uh-huh. And so their eldest daughter, um, Lady Mary, was about to marry a distant cousin who was killed on the Titanic, which actually uh, sends everything into disarray because that way the title and the money and everything would have stayed in the family right? married him. And so now there's even more distant relation that it turns out is going to now inherit everything um, uh, eventually. And so they want to try and bring him into the fold and teach him the ways of, uh, the, of their life and what it means to be an aristocrat. And he is having none of it initially. He is very middle class and, um, and doesn't understand the, uh, the, the I mean, they, these people are, they have people that dress them like uh, uh, Lady Cora has a lady's maid. They can't do anything without help of the servants. Everything is done for them and uh, they're doted on constantly. And, um, and the idea of when you're coming into this world uh, and, and being completely foreign to it, um, God, what is his name? Uh, let's see. Matthew. Matthew Crawley is the distant yes. relation that they try to bring into their world. And, um, uh, and, and when that happens, what's interesting is uh, the Dowager Countess, Maggie Smith, she is Robert Crawley's uh, mother. Um, she starts basically uh, with Lady Cora. Um, they start plotting on trying to matchmake and get, uh, and get Matthew and uh, Lady Mary together. And of course, in anything like this, initially it's not working out. But right. one of the standouts in this show is Maggie Smith. This woman has some of the best one-liners you will ever hear on any kind of show. And this show isn't she a comedy, but she is hilarious. Oh, and just to, and to give people an idea of the kind of culture clash we're talking about, um, the Dowager Countess, uh, at one point she's talking with Matthew, who's very middle class, and she's trying to get him to, uh, to do some kind of, go to some kind of event. And he's saying how like, well, uh, um, I'll be free all during the week, but I could, I can possibly attend on the weekend. And she goes, what is this thing a weekend people keep talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I've never understood the concept of a weekend because she doesn't work. She doesn't never- work. Exactly. So weekend. So that gives you an idea of the, of the difference in culture. And um, another thing that's kind of neat about the pilot of the show and the way it's, uh, it's written is, um, uh, on the day that everything happens, uh, where the Titanic is sunk and the family fortune is, uh, uh, is in question, um, uh, we meet Mr. Bates. He comes to be the new valet or the person who dresses and is the personal butler of the head of the house. And the reason why he even has a connection, uh, with the head of the house is they fought together in the war. So, uh, Robert Crawley, um, the Earl of Grantham, actually um, has said that it's okay for 
uh, Mr. Bates to come and work there. He's actually personally hired him, okay. not realizing that he was uh, badly injured later in the war after they parted company and that he walks now with the aid of a cane. Right. So there's uh, there's certain duties and call, uh, that, in, uh, that uh, when he travels involve carrying bags and stuff like that. And there's resentment because there is of, of a under uh let's see what was his title um there was this uh a man named thomas who was a, a valet who hoped to get to be uh, uh uh promoted and to uh work for the lord of grantham personally and be the one who dressed him and, and took care of all of his clothes and carried his bags and when he traveled and so there was instant resentment of uh, Mr. Bates. And there's a question about, can he even do this job physically with his handicap? And so they're gonna give it a try. And so th th uh, there, be there becomes, uh, between Thomas and Bates, that's the beginning of a feud that kind of runs almost the entirety of the show. But the show is incredibly rich. The production values are off the charts. When you watch it, you feel absolutely transported to another place in time. Yes. And one of the things I love about the pilot is at the very beginning of the show, it's like it's uh, the sun is barely coming up and the house is teeming with activity. The kitchen is filled with people rushing around cooking. There are people that are putting flowers in, in giant uh, uh, vases and bouquets uh, in the foyer. Um, and then there's, uh, uh, there's Daisy who's running from room to room, lighting fires, tending to each of the fires. And it's kind of like behind uh, the curtain of a play. It's like the stage crew. All kinds of things are happening. And then all of a sudden, uh, when the sun is fully up, you see the beautiful wealthy family come basically mm -hmm. floating down this giant staircase. Yeah. And everything is in order. Flowers, everything is all their clothes, everything is pristine. And, and they have no idea of all the chaos that was going on shortly before they, you know, uh, walk down the stairs. And I just love the idea that it's that that it's like the hot backstage and the play begins once once they once the uh, family uh, gets up and starts, you know, uh, their day starts is when the play begins. Kevin, that was so visual that if nobody had ever seen Downton Abbey before, that description right there sums it all up. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's beautifully shot. It's really difficult to do period pieces simply because, there, you know, there's always something that's like, damn. There's an Amazon box in the shot. We didn't know that. You know, there's always something. But of course, this is a high-level production, so you're going to be you. You have people on set to take care of that. But you absolutely did not feel like it was present day. You really did feel transported back to the time of the Titanic, the early 1900s. You absolutely did. And I just kind of wanted to mention that, of course, it was so critically acclaimed. It's uh, gotten a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Miniseries or Movie, a Golden Globe for Best Miniseries or Television uh, for, or, for Television or Film. Um, it, it's gotten so many awards and it's so critically acclaimed. And, you know, sometimes awards don't always mean <laughs> everything <laughs> because 
film and television are so subjective. And as we've seen, they're like, well, why is this getting awards? And so it doesn't always mean something. But the fact that not only did it get awards, but it's backed up with real talent and real cinematography and just beautiful writing, I, that, I can see that's, that's on my list as well. Oh, it's all yeah. You're right. It's it's the, all the accolades and all of all of the reviews and the awards. It, they were they were for a reason. They yeah. were everything was very richly deserved. And one thing I want to say about the show, I love about the writing of Julian Fellows, who um, I believe wrote like every episode, is what's so ingenious about his writing to me is he gets the big moments. There are big operatic moments of the show where big things happen like i said it starts with the sinking of the titanic for god's sake so big things happen but he also gets the little moments and the division of the upstairs and the downstairs people the people with the money and the people that work for them yes. and how their lives intersect and and but there's always very very sharp lines dividing lines between uh the upstairs and the downstairs they're always everybody's always very aware of their station in life and where they belong in the hierarchy and that whole the Downton Abbey is not just the castle or the the home it's the whole estate and it's actually like a little ecosystem that's yes. the whole town going the whole the whole town is uh, uh, uh works to keep this going and um you you learn more and more about how everything works as the show progresses but it it's literally, it's so, ex, it's, I don't normally use words like this, but the show was exquisite. Exquisite I, is I perfect a better adjective. way to describe it. It's a perfect adjective, exquisite. So on that note, so, you know, we had honorable mentions, but I would say this, I would invite everybody listening today to check us out on our Facebook page and check us out on Twitter, where not only can you find out about the shows that we talked about today, where we can find out our top five, but you can also find out our honorable mention, honorable mentions, because we'll list them as well. Also, if you want to, yeah, on, on Twitter, please uh, uh, hashtag my TV top five. And um, Ooh, that way I'll idea. definitely be able to check it out. So I want to see your top five. And uh, Tachi and I will post our hashtag, our, uh, my top five as well. Uh, again, hashtag my top five TV shows. And then list yours and um, we'll put ours up as well. And any other questions you may have for us. And one th uh, before we end things, Tachi, I want to say there is absolute, absolutely no reason for you guys not to tune into us on a on a regular basis because <laughs> way to scold them kevin <laughs> there's no reason not to and i'll tell you why because if you listen to us and you're actually listening to our opinions and our reviews and you're thinking you know what i agree with most things they're both saying so then you should tune into us because um if we're saying something's good you're probably gonna love it but if you're listening to what we're saying and you're like uh, they are totally wrong. That is a horrible show. I don't know what they're thinking about. You should listen to us because if we love it, it's probably horrible and you should avoid it. So <laughs> there is absolutely no reason not to tune in and check us out on a regular basis. Absolutely. So you'll be able to hear us on a regular basis. This is our first show. This is our, the, the inaugural show we decided was going to be a uh, top five. And so this is the reason we've gone so long. This from Kevin, who was worried about whether or not we were going to be able to fill up an hour. Well, <laughs> we've done more than that, my friend. <laughs> oh, one thing I want to say that our next 
next uh, our next kind of introduction show to kind of give you an idea more about who we are and what our taste is. And I'm using the term taste very loosely now because our next show is going to be our top five guilty pleasures. Ooh. So that's going to be a real moment of dignity for the both of us sharing <laughs> sharing exactly. our top five guilty pleasure TV shows. And mine does not include porn. So, and like, so. <laughs> oh, we can't, I'm so glad you mentioned we can't include porn because that was going to be three of my choices. All oh, right. Damn. <laughs> I had to say something. You can't take you anywhere, Kevin. <laughs> All right. So that does it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in to TV channeling. You are what makes the show. Definitely. All of you. So thank you for listening. So for now, bye from Tachi. And bye from Kevin. And remember, if you're watching it, we're talking about it. Cheers. Bye.